Church Boys. Doggone it, this thing! <sighs> okay. <laughs> so so it has been It has been a day. I can't get my sound. I think that that sounded okay, but it did not register on GarageBand. Which, and of course, now the phone is ringing. <laughs> this show has been a disaster. Just, We're two seconds in. Oh Hello? my gosh. He's I'm actually, missing my wife's birthday for this right now. Are you, is, if that's not Trump or Glenn Beck, then you better hang it it's up. neither. Let's be honest. <laughs> it's neither. We, we are not stopping this show. No, you continue, this is, Chris. This is professionalism 101. This is how to do a podcast. <laughs> I feel like my bad luck has just moved over to Washington State. Oh we have lost our ratings in Uganda. That's all I know. And <laughs> no it's all because of this so stuff. It has been a day. Billy, as you know, and we've, we've documented it some on this show, I have been getting a new patio installed. I tore out the deck, oh, cut karma. up all the pieces, and then scheduled to have a new deck, a new patio poured. Three that weeks was, ago, you scheduled to have a new patio That was three or four poured. weeks ago. Uh, and then the last time he was here to lay the dr- the gravel, my wife got into him on the f- with him on the phone because he was being irresponsible, and she called him out on it. He didn't appreciate that. And so he was ticked off, and so for two weeks we heard nothing. 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 So I called him earlier this week, and I said, hey, you know, uh, well, we'll call him Steve. It's not his name because I don't want to be unfair, but uh, Steve, no, what? I was wondering if you know when you're going to be able to come and finish, you know, do the do the pour. I tried to just keep it kind and nice. And, you know, I said, I know there was a little conflict when you were here the last time. And, I'm, you know, I'm sorry that happened. He goes, no, no, we're cool. We're cool. So he was really nice. Right. And he's and so I'll be there Thursday morning, nine o'clock, 1030 rolls around and he pulls in, which is fine because he only had a little bit of rebar to put down. And the, and the cement truck with the concrete wasn't going to be delivered until like noon. So we had plenty of time. So that wasn't a big deal. So he's getting all that done. Of course, the wife wants to have extra concrete from the truck she says you know what can we put that in a bucket and then i'll so they do that they they keep it in a in a wheelbarrow and so we go to have the wheelbarrow stuff and my wife has got all these molds to make uh stepping stones but the kids names in them and put little you know not jewels but um little this sounds like something rock and nonsense oh yeah, yeah. It's, just, yeah. Okay. it's just awful oh she wanted to be dazzled them yes and then putting <laughs> seashells in them and stuff and that's fine that's so and that's great is it and no, we I'm also kidding. we <laughs> also wanted to put the kids handprints in them right because they're you know they're 12 9 and 6 and it's be fun to have this their handprints in them that'd be great and so we know that it's going to we're going to need to do this while the concrete is wet and we said steve when 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 the time comes for them to do this would you let us know yes no problem so what does my wife decide to do she decides to take the oldest one and go run errands in a city 30 miles away. And so oh, no. while they're in the middle of doing their shopping, he comes and says, okay, it's ready for the handprints. So I get number two and number three, their handprints in there and scrape their little names in there and their, their ages and then make a place for my daughter, put her name and her age. And I'm like, hey, I just have to press it in when you, when you get here. And of course it's dry, then she can't do anything with it. So now we've got <laughs> handprint name, handprint name, and then just this blank spot and a name. So she has filled up all these containers out here, and I'm thinking, okay, so well, I'll just hose down everything when I get done. I go out there to check everything, and there's still a second bucket full of concrete that is in the process of drying. <laughs> I'm like, I got to go get on the show here in 45 minutes. This is like 4.15. And so there's still concrete in the wheelbarrow, and there's a bucket full of concrete. I'm like, you have got to. So I'm scraping that out. And where, where do you put a bucket of concrete? Well, I don't know. 
So I'm like, did you have a place where you wanted to put this, or do you have other projects you're going? Well, I don't know. What do you think we should do with it? I said, well, we can't. Just oh, but my mom showed up. It's- <laughs> Yeah. Same she used for Hi, this is Laura Hollowell, and I think that, <laughs> I just think that you should not. Uh, anyway, so I finally, when I take the, I take these buckets of concrete, and I take them, and I, I put them out on the retaining wall on the on the alley side, kind of as re- reinforcement, just along the the seam, and it's fine, and it all works out. But I'm hosing everything down, hosing out the, and I'm realizing what time it is, and I have gone already gone to the computer once to start it up, and. Uh, Adobe Audition isn't working correctly. And so then I go, well, what's going on here? And then suddenly it flashes on my screen. Would you like to run an update on this computer? I'm like, no. And what does it do? Runs the update. It runs the update because that's what I paid your computer to do. So then I'm I'm starting to panic and I'm going, you have got to be kidding me because we've got an interview coming up. And while I'm sitting there, I decide, you know what? I'm going to see if I can get, get it to work on my laptop. So I open Audition and it works on my laptop. But guess what happens? Skype won't open. And as you know, you guys are in the middle of trying to set up a phone call for our interview, and I'm sending you pictures of it's asking me to log in. So I try to log in. Don't recognize that I account. Love it. Reset the password, and it sends me an email to reset the password. I reset it. Try to log back in. Skype isn't available right now. Retry. Okay, retry. We don't know, recognize an, an account associated with this email. Are you <laughs> kidding me? Exist. So in the middle of this, so then I'm going back to the other computer. and God has, is in control, it, Chris. It, it's I know, all right. It has run its update. God did not allow you on. And it says, computer. would you like to run a, it, another update available? Would you like to run it? No. What does it do? Starts another update. <laughs> I'm like, you have got to be kidding me. So this I is moved. what happens in Trump's America. So all he's doing, yeah. while that's happening, I go to my other laptop. I thought, well, I can at least test things, test the volume. And I, re- I pull on my microphone. And guess what happens? This part right here comes completely apart. It's like it exploded <laughs> in my hand. There are pieces of ex- a microphone stand flying everywhere, so I had to go and reassemble that while all this other nonsense How is stressed going out? on. You never get angry and yell, which oh, I do all the time. God. How stressed out were you on a scale from 0 to 10? Because you sounded like Joe Biden after a brisk walk <laughs> like when you came on the show. It was, I, it was and that's just I mean, that's just the half of it, man. I, it's, it's in the past. The past, put your past and your behind, or whatever it it's is. It's been a day. Speaking of been. behind, oh, yeah, why, speaking don't we, of why don't we transition there? <laughs> before, <laughs> before we start the show, let's let's hear what our friend Joe Biden had to say earlier this week in an interview. Billy, did you want to introduce this, or are we just good to go? Here? I think we just need to run it. Okay, and about at about the six second mark, listen for run a very listen familiar Just sound. listen carefully. Here we go. You don't have to cut those teachers and firefighters, police officers, and cut critical health care programs. Right here. Or stop work on roads and bridges. So what was that? What does the human call Wait, cut critical health care programs? What was that? Or stop work on roads and bridges. So <laughs> what does the cut critical health care programs? Or stop work on roads and bridges. So what does the critical health care programs? Presidential candidate? Or stop work on roads and bridges. So what does <laughs> Or stop no. work on roads and bridges. It's so, so much what better does the in headphones. Cost, uh, it's just like I watched it on my phone, but like on the headphones, there is some very um. There's a lot of extra skin going on there right now. It's like on the border of a of kazoo level. It is. I mean, I love, I and love. He kind of like lifts up a little bit in the does. chair too. He's like, Rrr. but can we talk about the best part? Is the governor? I forget who he's talking governor to. Tom his, Tom face, something. his face. Yeah, after he's like, it happens, he's like, oh my. <laughs> you okay there? <laughs> that is. Oh my gosh! Can you just uh, play one more time, please? And cut critical healthcare programs, or stop work on roads and bridges. So. 
What does the or stop work on like roads and bridges? Needs a critical so healthcare program. What right does the human cost uh, of lack of state? Oh, oh wow. democratic nominee, people. Oh. There's this good one. Like 2020's been like the year of like farting during interviews. Oh, I man. feel like there's been like three or four really good ones that have one. come out. That's... It happens to people. I feel like everyone's so it's like, oh, you're clutching your pearls over a fart. Everyone has accidentally slipped a toot out. Right. I, I mean, I come have. on. Farted during an interview, Billy? I have, I have, have I ever farted? Not audibly, but I have probably Billy, farted during an interview. Not everyone so. has accidentally farted. I have never. Everyone has oh, accidentally farted. I have farted. never accidentally farted. I, I would agree with that. I have this conversation. I don't. I don't. I don't know as though I've ever accidentally farted. <laughs> but like, but you know, when you have a moment, you've never had a moment where like it just it kind of slips out. It's not even like it's not like a a fart like that, like Joe Biden allegedly had. It's a it's a it's a silent one that slips out. <laughs> that, that's true. I have had those. You had then that's an accidental fart. <laughs> well, I, but that's when I say fart, I'm talking like you know, where you're ripping it. And it's audio. I mean, this audible. is remember when we're guys. I just want you to keep in mind when th these clips are played at some point on some mainstream media outlet and our careers are over. I just want you to remember this moment, <laughs> when and did, it's all worth it for the Joe Biden wait, fart. When did our careers start? That is good, the good, that is the good real question. question. <laughs> God, yeah, I have a book to promote. Everyone, have me on your show. Um, the <laughs> the point is though, an accidental the fart, is, fart is that what we're gonna call it. <laughs> <laughs> when oh demons release. When demons release. That's my next book. That's great. Uh, well, one did during that interview or during oh, that man. exchange. But I mean, listen. If do you think he farted? Was that a fart? Oh, oh yeah. Uh, without oh, yeah. a doubt. No doubt in my mind. Without a doubt. It's endearing to a degree. Well, kind of. No. Is, but, but it's like <laughs> no. But think it's about an old man fart. I don't know. No. Yeah, I was gonna say. Don't. I don't want to take this too far. But I'm glad that Leah, that uh, that Lucas did because he's the pastor, and so if we say things, that everything's okay now. <laughs> I just lost Can my you imagine the, the stench? And that's old man fart. Old Guys. man farts are a different. Huh? I don't know. It's it's sometimes like the silent one. All right. I'm All right. Done. Quick start, start the, the show. show. Start the show. <laughs> or stop work on roads and bridges. So. <laughs> What does the human cost uh, of lack of state? Ladies and gentlemen. Hello! From the sublime to the ridiculous, but mostly ridiculous. Billy Hollowell. Hey, does this suit make me look fat? It's not what he said, you ignorant wretch. Chris Field. That guy in little coat. Let me tell you why I suck. Lucas Miles. I want you to forget what you saw here today. Aww. I've interrupted happy time. The Church Boys. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. I hate these guys. You know, Billy. Oh, in the I'm sorry. I was reading the news. In the in the um, pre-show, in the pre-show, we discussed way, you I'm taking infamous. this as the as the intro ended. <laughs> I'm infamous for never coming back from an intro. I get I get sucked into things. Um. Oh yes, I was supposed to. I was supposed to introduce something. What I was supposed to introduce was an interview here that we are going to be having on the show with Jonathan Steingard. Uh, no, it's actually not with Jonathan Steingard. Um, I wish I actually reached out to him because I'd love to talk with him. But Jonathan Steingard, for those of you who don't know, he is the uh, lead singer of Hawk Nelson, and he is the the guy who put up the Instagram post saying that he has not only really left Christianity, but he no longer believes in God. And so we sat down here with Daniel Fusco. Um, who is a who is a well-known pastor and also our very own Lucas Miles here to kind of talk through the theological a semi, underpinnings. A semi-well-known pastor. 
not to leave him alone, not to go after Jonathan Steingart by any means, but to understand the questions, the things that led Jonathan away from his faith and away from believing in God. Those are questions a lot of people have. So we dove into those here in this interview. So with no further ado, I want to run our interview with Daniel Fusco, not Jonathan Steingart, but Daniel Fusco. So we've got a great guest today, my friend, Pastor Daniel Fusco. How are you? I'm doing great. Great to be with you guys. So Daniel, it's good to have you. I thought of you when this story about Jonathan Steingard came out. And for those who don't know, he's the lead singer of the Christian band Hawk Nelson. And he came out on Instagram saying that he no longer believes in God. And so that, that story has been everywhere, right? A lot of people are talking about it. And I thought of you because of the great work you do, the videos you do. And then we have Lucas here, who's also a pastor. And just thinking through the reasons why Jonathan gave, and I think they're really interesting reasons that sort of led him away from this belief in God. We thought maybe we could tackle some of those things on the show and just sort of talk it through with you. But I guess before we get into that, I was just curious your, rea- your initial reaction to this story when you saw it. Well, I mean, obviously the story is everywhere, and our culture loves uh, deconversion stories, especially from uh, well-known believers. And so it's almost unfortunate that like more people know about him now than knew about him before, because right. our culture loves it when uh, you know kind of well-known believers uh, choose to abandon their faith in Jesus. So obviously, you know, I'm heartbroken, but at the same time, like as a pastor, I always say that everyone's on a different step of their faith journey, and. You know, as a, a pastor, I, I live in the Pacific Northwest, you know, just outside of Portland, Oregon. And, and you know, every single day there are people who are growing closer to Jesus and there are people who are growing away from Jesus. And so uh, that's just kind of a normal part of the life of the church. And so it's a, it's a common story because every day is a day to either abide or to begin to, you know, we're prone to wander, as the old hymn says. And I found that in my own life. And so it, it's, it's, it's unfortunate, though, for sure. It is. It is. And so I guess we'll dive into some of this. And I want to I want Lucas is playing the role of co-host podcast co-host and also <laughs> pastor. And, uh, but but the thing that struck me the most, and I think this is a thing that a lot of people outside of the church and inside the church struggle with or wonder on. And he actually wrote this. I have his Instagram post in front of me. If God is all loving and all powerful, why is there evil in the world? Can he not do anything about it? Does he choose not to? And then he says, is the evil in the world a result of his desire to give us free will? And so I'll stop there. There's a lot of questions there. But what I guess I'll start with you, Dan. What was your reaction to that? Okay, so that's like a common uh, issue that people have. Now, I didn't grow up, uh, you know, uh, in the church. So I grew up, you know, uh, culturally Catholic. But we never talked about God at all. And so uh, when, I, when I got saved in my, at the end of college, those were like the questions that I began with. You know, and so I think ultimately when you read the Bible, I think really what he's saying is that like the Bible answers all of those questions, but for him, maybe, and I don't know John, so I can't really speak to like, I don't want to like use him. Like I know him. I, like I've never had a discussion with him. And if I was talking to him, we would, I'd ask him a million different questions, but in a lot of ways, God deals with evil in one place the Bible teaches at the cross of Jesus Christ. You know, and really what he's saying is that God's way of dealing with the evil of the world is insufficient in his eyes. 
you know, um, ultimately that's what he's saying. And so, but, but, but yeah, like God knows that there's evil in the world. God has given us free choice. The Bible teaches because of the fall of humanity, not only did humanity break, but all of creation broke with it. I mean, that's, that, that's the, the Genesis account tells that. And so ultimately God has one single way of dealing with the evil in the world. And that is through is crucifying Jesus in our place. And, and so Really, what he's saying is that, that that doesn't hold for him right now, and and so, um, but that's how God—that's the biblical answer to the question. Daniel, I think that's—I I think you said something first of all really great to start with, and it's important to point out here. If you or I or Billy or anybody was sitting down with John for a cup of coffee to talk about this stuff, the conversation is going to happen differently in a different order in a different manner. What we're doing here today is not trying to, you know address one man as much as exactly talk about how these issues, you know, how people struggle with these things. And so, you know, this is uh this is definitely broad, broad stroke, you know, for these things where with a real, with a person in front of you, that's got this level of doubt, it's much more, you gotta be much more, you know, surgical in terms of really hearing what's the question behind the question. What's the pain that's there. And I think you can go through his page. And as a pastor, I see, you know, his posts across, you know, looking back over some of these others and going, I could guess some stuff, but that's not my place. I don't know him personally. And so I don't want to, you know, I don't want to just, you know, propose those things. So, you know, one of the things that, that, I, that stood out to me is, you know, he talks about this idea, you know, if God is all loving this thing that you wrote here and he says, okay, well, maybe that's a result or a desire of his to give us free will. And then he says, okay, well, what about famine, disease, floods and suffering and all this stuff that's not accused, but uh, caused by humans or our free will. And I would go back to like, you know, most of those things are still caused by free will. You know, we we are, I mean, our free will plays into everything. And I actually just read something by an apologist uh, today, actually, that said, you know, because he was dealing with the question of, uh, does is everything that happens God's will? And it, he was arguing against universalism, this idea that everybody's saved, which is, you know, a popular, you know, uh, topic that, you know, has, has a popular error that's continued. And he says, you know, this idea that what if it was God's will to give man free will? Like, then, therefore, God's will is completed. And I think we're seeing that. Now, that works for me. That works for a lot of believers. But when you're dealing with these issues, you know, you got to kind of systematically go through. And we know at the end of the day, the head knowledge never replaces heart knowledge. So you can know the answer, but you have to know that you know the answer. And I think that's really what you're speaking to. Yeah. And I mean, there's no doubt that, you know, this is a, a guy who grew up in the church. He's uh, he's been in vocational Christian work by being, a, you know, a Christian artist, you know, and so he's been within the cocoon of it. And, and there's something I read in one of his posts. He said that, you know, questions are not welcome, you know, and, and, and again, that might speak to the culture in which he was nurtured. I mean, like like where I live, I tell people all the time, like, God's not scared of your questions. Right. You know, right. but like God knows we have them. And, and so. So, but, uh, but I think that's also, you know, in, in some, you know, uh, you know, tribes within Christianity where it's almost like, you know, certainty is comes with it where, where I think the Bible teaches we see through a glass dimly. God doesn't tell us everything about everything. He tells us everything we need for life and godliness. And there's lots of things that we all walk through life being like, well, what about this? And how does this work? And, and maybe he was in an environment where he was never, he never had thoughtful people around him who'd be willing to explore those things, give him room to you know, to, to process through some of the things he's seen, he's experienced. But I think in a lot of ways, his post, he's longing for a relationship. 
Yeah. Because really what he's saying is like, the, I went to the Bible, but I don't know that God's real. And so it's like, you know, really he's longing for a relationship and for whatever reason, he's not experiencing either the relationship the way he wants it, or uh, he's not even availing himself to the relationship. You know, in, in my book, I call this post-traumatic church disorder. And it's, you know, people go through this experience. You know, I've had, I had somebody call me out one time and they're like, well, that's not a real thing. And I'm going, and if you've been through it, it's a really real thing. You know, that's not making fun or poking, you know, making light of somebody that's been through, you know, war. I mean, there's, there is a spiritual and emotional thing. I mean, all throughout, he's using words like obligation. I had to, I was raised to. And to me, like, I just see the older brother in the parable, you know, who's like, I've been here slaving for you, God, this whole time. And, you know, he's hit this place of doubt and, and, you know, frustration. And the other thing that I see in this is, you know, he talks about this idea of just like, there's all this killing in the Bible. Which I was I think just going to bring that up. Cause I think that's, well, why don't you ask your, well, ask your question about it. So, cause I knew you were going to go there. And I think this was, cause there were a couple of areas where they really stood out to me and the one that stood out the most, and I'll read it. I won't read all of it cause it's a little long, but he said, why does God seem so pissed off in most of the old Testament? And then all of a sudden he's a loving father in the new Testament. Why does he say not to kill, but then instruct Israel to turn around and kill men and women and children um, to take the promised land. And then he says, why does God let Job suffer? And then he kind of goes on to win a, de- a, a bet with Satan. Why does he tell Abraham to kill his son? More killing again. And then basically say, just kidding. That was a test. And then this is the part that really kind of got me. Why does Jesus have to die for our sins? More killing again. If God can do anything, can he forgive without someone dying? And before you guys answer, it stood out to me because that is something I've encountered a lot with atheists who will say, but why? Why did Jesus have to die, right? Um, so I'll throw it to you, Daniel, on that. Oh, yeah. So, so, I mean, and these are the big questions, right? And, and even as believers, we have these questions. So in regards to forgiveness, like, let, let me do a, a word picture. Imagine I came over to both, maybe you guys are both at, uh, at, at Billy's house, right? And so we, we have a great dinner. It's super awesome. And then when I go to leave, because I was born and raised in New Jersey, uh, you know, I'm not a great driver. I mean, I know I'm a great <laughs> driver, but no one else believes that. So let's say I back out of the driveway. I take the mailbox out. Just straight up, level it to the ground, right? Now, I can come to Billy and be like, bro, I'm so sorry. I ran over your mailbox. Now, he could say, hey, Daniel, I forgive you. No big deal, right? But either way, someone's got to pay to fix the mailbox. Now, whether Billy chooses to do it or I choose to do it, either way, when there is a brokenness in a relationship, there is a cost to be paid in order to bring reconciliation. You know, And so in a lot of ways, like because the – how grievous the, the, the divorce has been on the side of humanity to a God who is holy, then the price was big. And, and God gave the children of Israel the sacrificial system, not because he was anti-animal. He was giving them a picture, a type and shadow of what it was going to cost to, to heal the rip between a holy God and an imperfect humanity. And so you can either say, you, like you could take it from the doubting side and say, I mean, why would Jesus have to die? Or you could say, isn't it extraordinary that God would take on flesh and die in our place? And, right. and really, it's the same thing. It's just, are you going to look at it as like, that's it, that's horrific, or that is the most beautiful thing that I've ever heard in my entire life. And so either way, when, when forgiveness is needed, someone's got to pay for it. And the good news of Jesus is that Jesus paid the price for us. It, it's, it's a Sunday school answer, but it's deeply biblical. No, that's really good. I think that, um, you know, I think the other thing that people miss in there is, and I, I see this, you know, a little bit in this post from him, 
is that there's there's kind of almost like this undertone of Gnostic dualism, and I'll define that for you know any listeners that is within Christianity today that that sort of sees God through one lens and Jesus as another. So God's this this old man, angry God up in heaven, you know, that likes to abuse people occasionally, and then come, here comes hippie Jesus, you know, want to love everybody and everything else, and looks a little bit like Daniel, you know. So I mean, it's it's uh, it, it, it's it, so we have these two we have these two versions. And the reality is, you know, you said that it's God put on flesh. You know, he saw the price that needed to be paid. He took that on himself. So like that for me is step one. The other thing, and you know, I wrote, you know, and Billy, you know this, I mean, I wrote a book on, on the whole Job thing. I wrote, you know, there's, there's so much misunderstanding there. And I think stuff that is just not, I, I see this more of an issue of the tradition, maybe that he's been learning within more so than any issue with the Bible. The Bible to me is very clear on these things. But I think there's a lot of religiosity out there that makes this really confusing for people. And the the thing that that to me, an understanding of grace has to be an understanding simultaneously of my sin. Uh, it was said about Martin Luther, you know, before he, you know, before the Protestant Reformation, he would spend like two hours in confessional talking to a priest, you know, and he was in a monastery at this time. Like, how many sins can you commit in a monastery? But, you know, he'd spend two hours because he didn't want to miss anything because he was so aware of his sinfulness. And I think when you that was a revelation that I had early on in ministry is just I was overwhelmed. I don't have a picture of the third heaven. I don't I didn't see Jesus. I saw how screwed up I was. And when I saw how screwed up I was, I realized, man, thank you, Lord, for coming to die for me. I welcome that because I knew that was the only way to redeem truly what it was that that I had committed. Well, so, I don't know if you want to respond to that before I kind of go into something else that I found interesting here. I don't know if you have anything. Yeah, I mean, what I would say is, I mean, the idea of God brokering in violence, you know, like, and that is, you know, when you read it, it, it like, it could be jarring. And I think we have this tendency to forget that, you know, pers- personhood is complex, right? And so, so like, you know, w- we're in the generation where we realize that all of our heroes are, are flawed. So like, you know, like we just watched the Michael Jordan Last Dance documentary and he's like, listen, some people are going to think I was a total jerk. But in order to, to do what we did, I, I was, you know, an ogre. I was impossible to deal with. I was not punching Steve Kerr in the face, you know, like or whatever was going on, you know. And, and so it's like, you know, and I think we have this idea, like you said, like, why is God so violent in the Old Testament? He's like a happy father in the New Testament. It's like, well, hold on. Personality is so much more complex. Like even if I was sitting with John, I'd be like, John, like. So, so you can sing these beautiful songs that, that are anthems for believers, but at the same time, you're struggling with deep doubts. You know, like there, there is, because we're creating God's image and likeness, there's an inherent complexity to humanity. And, and that is amplified by an infinite God. And, and so, yeah, when, when you watch God brokering in violence, and don't miss the fact, God is the most violent at the cross. You know, for yeah. God so loved, I mean, like, like all of God's violence against the sin of the world is placed on his own son, his only begotten son, like who he loved the most. And so it's not like God stopped brokering in violence. But the thing is, is that if God is a holy and a perfect God and a just and loving God, then his violence, unlike any other violence we could ever see in all of creation, it's the one time that violence is justified. But again, that's zooming out with the eyes of eternity and and a holy God, as opposed to looking at it through you know, human finite frail eyes and be like, man, what's God doing? He's like, he's like a, a tyrant. 
Well, and you know, it's, play- it, it's well, I was just going to add to that. And I, you guys are the pastors. I'm not a theologian, but it is interesting. The key difference is that while it may seem horrific and we don't understand why God may give a command in the Old Testament that seems uncharacteristic of God, it's God the Creator involved in that. We are not God the Creator. There's a massive difference between us making a decision to take someone else's life, which is horrific, and and God having the same sort of, or seemingly the same sort of mandate, right? They're just different things entirely that you can't compare. So anyway. The, the, the other thing I think that's missed is God has the right to destroy, I, I'll say God in the Old Testament had the right to destroy humanity at any time that he wanted. If he did it now, he would have to apologize to Jesus because Jesus paid the price for the sins of humanity. Okay, and so anybody who puts their faith in him and receives that, you know, is is in Christ at that point. And so, but, you know, in the Old Testament, I mean, what we see is not just God, um, you know, if you, you know, going back to the word picture idea, you know, if, if you walked into a room and you saw, you know, you saw a, a woman on a table and, and, and blood's coming out of her and you, you know, you see this guy with a knife. You know, you would, you know, if, if that was your first impression, for, you, you'd freak out until you realize it's a surgeon, you know, and he's trying to save her. And so, you know, we see, we see, we do see violent things happen in an operating room. We see violent things happen in the Old Testament, but I believe there's, it's, there's two parts of it. It's, it's one, there's God trying to redeem humanity. I believe if God wouldn't, have, this is Lucasology, I'll say, but if God wouldn't have eradicated some of the uh, the 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 neighboring people around Israel, there might not have been a virgin left to conceive the Christ. You know, I mean, he was protecting Israel to ensure that nothing could get in the way of this plan. And I think the other thing too, he is he is he is issuing judgment. You know, in the Old Testament, it's an addition of mercy rather than an, an addition of judgment, and that's something that gets confused a lot. So. So I wanted to just mention one other thing. You're both pastors, and this is the last point I will grab out of this, because there's a lot in here. It went on for a lot of pages, right? A number of pages with a lot of text. And yeah, this is not, again, none of this, just that people are tuning in right now, It's not we're not poking at Jonathan at all. This is about understanding the broader issues, and I think that his story is bringing those to fruition. But he said something that really made me think about pastors and the church, and whether or not we're failing or have failed, rather, millennials. He's an older millennial. Actually, I'm the same age as he is. I'm 36. And so he said this thing. He said, secondly, I've had private conversations with trusted friends about my doubts and discovered to my absolute shock that they are shared by nearly every close friend my age who also grew up in the church. And that shocked me uh, because these are very basic questions. They're difficult questions, and we all struggle with them at different times. But the fact that so many people in this circle, I mean, maybe it's just a specific circle of people, but it made me wonder, you know, have we failed this generation? We're seeing lower numbers of understanding, of adherence. Um, I just just wanted to get your thoughts on that, because that really stuck out to me. Well, I I would say that as a pastor, like, you know, in every generation and in uh, unique uh, kind of age brackets within every generation, there are unique discipleship struggles and issues. And so, you know, when you look at uh, the millennial generation, obviously there's been lots of writings about, you know, uh, the young, I'm, I'm Gen X, so I'm just rocking on with my bad self, no one bothers us. We're not boomers. We're just yeah, kind of doing just our thing. Yeah, leave you guys alone. Yeah. It's like, you know, we're just living Nirvana we're good. You know, it's no big deal. I'm in the band, you know, uh, you know, it's like, um, you know, so I, I think for the younger generation, for the millennial generation specifically, and, and Gen Z, the, the generation underneath is yeah. not having the same issues. 
you know, uh, in some ways, it, they need uh, spaces to be able to talk through, you know, because like, you know, in every in, in other generations, there is an authority and then there is, OK, I'm going to grapple with the authoritative thing. The millennial generation specifically, there's no such thing as authority. You know, they were raised by the boomers who questioned authority. And so and I'm talking stereotypically. And so so the idea of like in the in the, the buffet of opinions, all opinions are equal. You know, and in that environment, unless you have somebody who is uh, listens well, thoughtful, is deeply biblical, you know, in a lot of ways, like the traditional youth group that 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 they grew up in is not giving them that. It's not talking the complexities of, okay, so like, what do we do with the fact that God brokers in violence? Like, what do we do with the fact that, you know, God could fix this stuff, but he chooses not to fix this stuff? Instead, they grew up, you know, doing ice cream battles and, you know, like, or whatever. And I'm not, like, I didn't even grow up in the church. So I just know friends who went through it. And so, so for me, it, like, I think, and especially when somebody, and, and this is part of the dynamics of our day and age of celebrity and platform, you know, like wh- when you make, you know, he goes around, he made his living writing songs about Jesus. And so, you know, as somebody who is a, a professional musician, spent time on the road, I'm here to tell you that th- you're only around a, a certain number of people and everything else is very superficial. You're going from stadium to stadium, club to club, you know, so you, you just whoever you're around is who you're around, but there's really nothing deep going on there. And so, you know, like in his, in, in his situation, I can imagine, unless he had some, you know, somebody who's really thinking through that stuff. And if everyone's kind of in the same spot and nobody really has like, well, let's, let's search the scriptures together. Let's see what it says. And what do we do with this? And, you know, and if those underpinnings are not strong, he talked about that idea of it's like a, a sweater and you're pulling the thread, yes. right? you know, like, but, but the problem with his, it's the perfect analogy, except for the fact that, you know, Jesus is a rock. He's not just, a, <laughs> a, he's not just a sweater, like, right. But, but when you take the thread and you take it off of the rock, then, yeah. then it's the parable of the, you know, what Jesus talked about when you build your house on the rock, you build it on the sand, yeah. you know? And so if you can pull that thread all the way and you end up with nothing, you never built any of it on the rock in the first place. Right. That's, that's so, good. But, but that's hard when you're, when you're a professional musician singing songs about Jesus, you're on Caleb, you're doing the hits tour with all the big acts. And like, so like really for me, my prayer for him is that, you know, he would find his way to, to get rooted back and abide in Jesus because what I have found in my journey of faith is that I have lots of questions. And when you're, when you're a pastor and you see the whole gamut of humanity, the most beautiful things and the most horrendous things, there are times like, you know, like when you, when you have to do a, a funeral and you're burying a, a you know, a, a teenager who committed suicide and you're just like, gosh, Lord, like what is going on right now? You know, like that stuff yanks at you. But if you're if you built your house on the rock at some point, like there's no such thing as there's no sweater there anymore because it, it's anchored and rooted. That is so good. And I, I mean, I was thinking about, uh, you know, Romans chapter one and two. And, you know, basically Paul is talking through all these. It, it's 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 kind of a progression of how people distance themselves from the Lord. And. You know, it starts with we start failing to recognize God as like our creator. We stop we stop giving thanks to him. We stop giving praise to him. And I think you see that, you know, there's so I mean, how many Christians do we know that don't accept Genesis chapter one as as any as any sort of truth? You know, if we're starting the Bible with, well, that's allegorical, that doesn't really mean that it could be something else. If we're not believing the first words that God shares, 
how are we going to take the rest of the words, you know, seriously? So when we we stop believing him as creator, we start falling into these other things. I'm not I don't want to make any judgments about his life, you know, just talking generally. I think that there's a progression. And so if uh, like you said earlier, if, if we don't have somebody in our life that can kind of, you know, we're always like just spitting these seeds all the time with our words and our thoughts. And you need a friend that can catch the bad ones. And go, nope, I'm not going to let that get planted. Like, let's talk about that one right here. And, oh, no, that's a good one. We got to make sure that gets planted in your heart because that's right on. And, you know, that's where I think just, uh, you know, if somebody falls, you need somebody there to pick them up. And, and man, I pray that, you know, you know, him, John, during this time that that he's able to, uh, you know, find the grace of God. He's able to figure out what that real bedrock is. And, uh, you know, in, in some ways, this could be coming into the end of himself and, and, a, and a whole new journey for him. And I pray that it is and, and just, you know, hope that it's not an opportunity for for the enemy to, you know, do any more havoc here and in himself. And then also just protection for these fans, you know, that they, yeah, they you know, big. when you have somebody kicked off their pedestal like that, uh, you know, and, and it sounds like the rest of the band maybe is on a little bit more solid footing with some of their responses, which I think is good news. You know, I, I think we also we don't want to forget, like. You know, the the dynamics of being a well-known musician, you know, like if you take it out of the church world, you just like watch any documentary on, you know, on fame. And, and it's like it's a very it, it's and I'm not trying to like say it's OK, you know, where he is. You know, what I am saying is that everything happens in a context. You it know, distorts there's a your perspective. It, it, it can really distort what you think not only about the world around you, but yourself. Right. And, and fame, I don't think we were built for fame. I really don't believe people were built for it. And very few people seem to be able to consistently handle it throughout yeah. their career. Yeah. Well, I mean, you look at Jesus, like, I mean, Judas had to kiss him so they knew who he was. So like, you know, like most of us have more, <laughs> you know, people who know us on, on, on a social media account than Jesus ever had. And so, and I think what goes on in, in that environment and also he's in the Christian industry. And so, like, you know, like as like, we've all written books and, you know, been around and done different things. And you realize that sometimes you watch believers not act very much like Jesus, it, yeah. you know, when there's money involved, you know, like I have good friends in the in, in the music industry, both uh, secular and, and in the Christian space, you know, and, and the pressures of, you know, album selling, you know, it doesn't really matter if like the songs are beautiful and glorify God. It's like, man, listen, if it doesn't sell units, like. And so, and that could be for people in vocational ministry. That could be, uh, I always like to say, that, that could be spiritually precarious. Yeah. You know, it can really <laughs> undermine your faith when you watch somebody who's like, "I love what you're doing, and we love Jesus, and let's do ministry together." But it's really not about ministry. It's about the bottom line. Like, you know, does your advance earn out? You know, right, and and, right. and that could be really. And and I'm pretty sure. I I don't know, John. And so, like, I haven't asked him these questions. But I'm pretty sure he's seen all sorts of promoters in the name of Jesus do shady stuff. You <laughs> do know, it for the kingdom, for, brother. I mean, doing it for the I'm not somebody I'm not a musician who's well known like that. And I have felt that pressure with book sale. I mean, like if we're all being yeah. honest, I mean, all yeah, yeah, of us could sure. probably say that we've felt that in the Christian world at some point because it's reality. It's a it, there's a business element. And right now, that's not where I am mentally. I'm like, I want to do whatever God wants me to do. But I have been there strongly where. I've struggled with that. And then your values in those losses, right? Or your values in, oh my gosh, it didn't sell the way I wanted it to, which our values shouldn't be there. But which yeah. this is why scripture is so important is because you see, you see all these stories. All these stories are in the Bible. Everything you're going to struggle with, everything you're going to go through. You can look at the kings of Israel or, you know, whatever that is. And, you know, it equips you to go, okay, 
man, I saw how that happened for that guy and I don't want to go down that road. So here's the path that I need to take. And look, I mean, I've been, I've been in bad places in my life and my thoughts and, and, and I, I, by no means, you know, uh, does being a good Christian mean that you never deal with a doubt? Um, I think that, uh, but, but we, you know, when you have that, that foundation on that bedrock, you know where to take those doubts and you know God's big enough to be able to handle those things. And if you got to have a screaming match with the Lord in your car in a parking lot, you know, in the middle of the night, you know, to work through those things. Uh, but I just believe he answers. And, and I believe, he, you know, and I, and I really pray that he's, that he's, you know, I, I know he's speaking to John. I just hope that he can hear him. I love this. Daniel, we got to have you back again. This is great. I really appreciate you coming in to talk Absolutely. about this today. Oh, it's my pleasure. It's been great, guys. Well, awesome. We will chat soon. I mean, I love, love Daniel's heart just in all of that. And, you know, I mean, like, look, the reality is, you know, whether it's a, you know, whether it's a Christian music artist, a pastor saying something like this, a celebrity, you know, coming out that they don't believe in faith or something anymore. I mean, these are real questions that people are dealing with. And I think that, um, you know, these conversations, they need to be had more than anything for me that just shows like how ill-equipped I think a lot of people are in their foundation you know, for their faith. And I just thought Daniel handled it, you know, really well in that, in that interview. Yeah. I think, you know, diving into trying to understand what brings someone to a certain place. Right. And when you have specific questions and I actually really did appreciate that Jonathan in his post noted, here's what it was that led me away because it gives us a chance to, to respond to that in a way that is not directing at him, but, but really directing at a lot of other people who have these questions. We all have doubts and questions at moments about our faith, right? Um, so to be able to respond to that, and I thought you guys did a really good job of that. I was sort of the facilitator of of asking questions, but you guys really went theologically deep into that. And I think we need to be praying for Jonathan too. I yeah, know that kind of sure. came up, right? Because instead of hating on him, and I know people are going to do that, we need to be praying for him right now. No, it, look, I mean, I think this is, it's a real thing. I, I was thinking, you know, um, you know, hear about the 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 story and scripture of John the Baptist. He's been arrested. You know, he's he's really kind of on the on the eve of getting ready to be beheaded, or at least you know within within a very recent uh, or short period of time afterwards. And he sends disciples to Jesus and basically says, like, "Are you the one?" You know, and he's wanting. I mean, he's dealing with these doubts. Like, I've been going through this. I'm in prison. I'm probably going to lose my life. Was it all worth it? And, and I think that, you know, we all have that place. And Jesus gives a really interesting response. You know, he basically points John the Baptist back to Scripture. And, you know, he says the blind see, the lame walk, you know, these sort of things. But John the Baptist, being a prophet, he knew the scrolls. Jesus was actually quoting an Old Testament passage that for a guy like John the Baptist who knew the Word was able to go in there and kind of find himself and find Jesus within the Word— and, and I think that that just shows the foundation. And to me, like, where does this, where does this start? How do people start drifting into this? I think it starts when the, when the, when, you know, our belief in the authority of the word starts deteriorating, you know, because what else is true then? If we, if that's not true, then we don't have anything else to, you know, to really, as we were talking about in an interview to, to kind of, uh, to stand on as bedrock in those situations. Well, don't you think we also have to extend, we have to be very good about extending grace to the human element of all of this. Because, I mean, think about the disciples. The day after after Jesus is crucified, what do they do? <laughs> they went into hiding, right? I mean, that's yeah, that's how yeah. I read that's how I read the New Testament is that they're hiding and they're scared. You know, the only one who wasn't there, and he gets a lot of crap for it, is Thomas, right? Thomas wasn't there. Well, Thomas was out and about doing something. 
And he wasn't <laughs> right. hiding up in the room with them. And he's also the same one who said, you know, they want to kill you in, was in Bethany or wherever. It said, let's go. Let's go do this. You know, so, yep. but those guys were hiding. The disciples were hiding. And these guys were, they didn't have the the Bible that we have, but they had day-to-day experience with Jesus for three years. And and they they fell they kind of fell fell away for in in a in a in a sense right and they 100%. had no reason to no hundred percent that's a, that's a good point yeah I think you know I just think we have to have we have to have grace for people and understand that listen this doesn't mean that Jonathan Steingard's story is done on this right I, in fact we don't know where it's going to go right. and I think when you make a decision he he expressed his fear in making the decision to come forward and talk about this I think we need to approach that with with truth but also with understanding that this is somebody who needs prayer and conversation and i hope that he continues to seek and that there are people there for him who help him in that in that process yeah and i mean he's re- it, it, this is, and i you know again it's not about him i mean there's so many people in that position where they're they're what i call overchurched you know they've just been through churches just become a work to them it's become a workout and i i think that you know to me, that's not a problem with church as much as it's a problem with getting out of grace. You know, when, when people came to Jesus, when he hadn't eaten, he was tired, you know, he, he should have been miserable for all intents and purposes. And they go, you know, master eat something. And he responds and says, I have food to eat that you know nothing of, you know, and it says the disciples were asking, did he sneak some food when we weren't looking? Like, did he pull out a (laughs) Snickers bar and like, you know, chomp something down and didn't share with us. And, and, you know, he says, then my, my food is to do the will of him who sent me when you're really operating in your call and your foundation is on the Lord, like, you know, you, it feeds you. It doesn't, it doesn't tear you down. Even when you're tired, even when you're beat up, even when you're broken, you still feel that. And it's easy to get out of that. And I've been out of that before in ministry where it was a weight, it was a burden. And it was about coming back to the grace of God in those moments. You know, you either do that or you feed those fears and those doubts and you end up in this place where you just start deteriorating your faith. And so, you know, I, I hope, I hope people, you know, I hope people hear that interview with Daniel and just, and really, you know, just become encouraged by what's there. So, so I have a, I have a question and, and I'd like your pastor take on this. And, th- and that is a lot of people in these situations, they'll look at somebody like, like Jonathan, who has, you know, f- you know, fallen, ast- has gone astray. Right. And he's, he's had all this upbringing and how does he walk away from it? And the Bible says, you train up a child in the way he's supposed to go. And he's not going to, you know, he's not going to deviate, not part. deviate from it. Yeah. He won't part from it. How do you how do you take that scripture and how do you offer is that something you offer as comfort to families when they see a, their own kid who they've raised say you know what this isn't for me I mean I think there's a big difference and, and I'm I'm very cautious on this subject because Chrissy and I don't have kids of our own and so I don't I never want to be the guy that goes well here's how you raise your kids you know when you know when I'm not been homeschooling during covid I've been studying just myself and and reading because we don't have any children you know I'm I can tell you all about training a Doberman, but not necessarily training a four-year-old. Now, I believe there's principles. We also see, you know, we don't believe in Scripture that Paul had kids, but Paul taught about child-rearing, and he did so with some authority. So I try to find a balance between, you know, some sort of biblical viewpoint and then not having kids my own and trying to be, you know, careful with those answers. I think that there's a difference between just taking a kid to church and actually training a child in the Lord, you know, and um, uh, if, you know, if, Chris, I'm sure you follow my my bird adventures on Facebook. I was talking about this week um, with, uh, <laughs> I already know this is coming. <laughs> <laughs> 
so, you know, I, I told the story on, on my Facebook page that, you know, we had this bird that was building a nest in our gutter, had this crazy rainstorm come through. And like immediately the next morning, I'm sitting there reading and this bird's coming back every minute with like a new piece of straw, a new leaf, a new, you know, new, uh, uh, you know, grasses or whatever. And it's bringing that in. It's rebuilding this nest. And it didn't wait. And I think what happens in life is, you know, whether it's with children or with adults, we have experiences in our life that wash away elements of our foundation that, you know, or uh, our belief system. And you can either just watch those things and go, I'm going to get to that eventually. Or you can go, no, I'm going to take action on that right now. I'm going to dig in. I'm going to make sure that I deal with that. And it's a different approach. And so I'm, I'm very proactive, I think, in how we deal with those things. My wife and I try to do that just with our own relationship as well. And I think that that's the, that's the method I would recommend for parents is that as soon as they start hearing a doubt from their child, not that they're, you know, beating the Bible, you know, into them, but they're going, let's talk about that. Let's pray about that. Let's ask God what he says about that. And really trying to cultivate that faith life rather than, you know, uh, sweeping it under the rug. And we well, don't my, know, my and we... seven year old yesterday fell while she was on. She's been falling a lot because you, she fell because while she her. was on her uh, bike and and she was bleeding. She hurt herself and she was crying. And on the way home, she said, I fell and God didn't protect me. You know, he didn't protect me. And so now she's seven. So having that deeper and, and I explained to her, there are going to be times that you still get hurt, you know, because the earth isn't perfect. And then today she said, you know, heaven is perfect. And I wish the earth was more like heaven. So it's like you, know, you try to get that understanding. This isn't going to be perfect. You are. God can protect and does. I know, Lucas, you know, we've had our debates about some of this, um, but but and I think you probably agree with that. There are times that that will happen, but there are times that life is going to happen, and that it's not that God made it happen, but that that's the world we live in. And so, falling off your bike, getting hurt in a car accident, there's lots of things that could happen um, in life. And so, trying to help her understand that. But I wanted to just add, we don't know. It may be that his father, Jonathan, who is a pastor, did train him up well, and his story isn't done, and he's going to come back to his hundred percent. Right. Katy Perry, another great example. Yeah. I pray, and I I actually would not be shocked if Katy Perry came back publicly to the faith that she was brought up with. You know, I don't know. Right. But anyway, yeah, I mean, and I, and I think that, you know, I mean, you know, I think that Katie is, is, uh, I think she's on a journey and, you know, I think that that's, a, that's a, that's a very real possibility. I believe that's going to happen. Chris might come back to his faith after his bad day today, too. This is true. I don't Chris, have, what else well, do you have on well, our agenda? Well, you today? love, you love to accuse me of being a Calvinist. So I'm, I'm pretty secure. So I don't have to worry about it. <laughs> You know, yeah, okay, it's okay. I gotta tell you one of my one of my favorite religion jokes. Okay, this guy goes into a barber. Okay. Oh no. And he sits down and he wants a shave and a haircut. Okay. And he gets this beauty and this and uh the and the guy who runs the place says, "Yep, go sit in that chair right over there. That lady will be with you in just a moment." And so he goes and gets his haircut, gets a nice shave, goes home and the neck and he's man, man, I really like this. It's a really great shave. This feels really good. Goes home. The next day he wakes up and he's got no stubble, nothing. He's like. I have a heavy beard. Why am, boy, this is an amazing shave. I've never had a shave like this. And so he goes throughout his day, and that evening you usually would have a 5 o'clock shadow. No 5 o'clock shadow. He's like, what in the world? Wakes up same day, same thing next day. And for three days, he wakes up no stubble, no nothing. I mean, this, it's smooth. All the, It's like, this is the best shave I've ever had. I don't know what happened. He goes back to the barber. And he got. He asks the guy he's, who who's in charge, who told him where to sit. And he says, I just got to gotta ask you a question. I don't know. I don't know what's going on, but I came here and got a, a shave a few days ago, and uh, and I don't have any stubble still. I don't know what what you did or what what you have your people do. And he goes, well, where were you sitting? He goes in that chair right over there. He goes, oh, well, that explains it. He goes, why? He goes, well, see that lady right there, the lady who cut your hair and gave you that shave. Yeah, her name's Grace, and we say once shaved by Grace, always shaved. 
That's when you're supposed that's, to laugh. That's, that's uh, kind of bad. I'm, kind of I'm, still, I'm still thinking about the Biden fart, which that reminded me of it. Um, so, well, so now yeah. I have to cue it back up because that's how we roll here. We're stop work on roads and bridges. So there we go. <laughs> You so, you need to try to isolate that because if Billy Averacus has an accidental <laughs> fart mm-hmm. on the Church Boys, then we can play that as like it was just the soundbite and not perfect. really. I just love that you all are denying an accidental fart. Listeners, let us know: Have you ever had an accidental <laughs> slip? We I know everyone has. Not this Pedro. is like. I just feel like it's crazy to pretend that you've never had a Biden. <laughs> we're going to call him a Biden now. Is that what we're going to call it? Okay. So one one other thing we talked about wanting to, wanting to look at. There's two subjects we need to go to. So we have to do this first. COVID-19. Because we need our COVID-19 <laughs> update. Because we, anyway. And then I'm going to I bed because so, this is. So two, two quick things. First, did you guys see the MSNBC interview with the guy who was in Lake Geneva, Wisconsin? Right. Yes, He's out there yes. trying to mask. I live for it. Trying I've to mask there. shame people. You've been there, so I have. Yeah. When I say when I, when you hear the words Lake Geneva, what do, what comes to your mind? I went there as a kid, and we stayed at a really creepy but nice bread and uh, bed and breakfast, bread and butter, bread, bread and butter, and um, bread and breakfast. Um, and uh, it was it was like a guy that you know he was like lived there with his mom, and he was this classical pianist. And we were certain he was going to murder our whole family at night you in our sleep. Lived the li- you have yeah. lived he was the a, life. He was a what? We were, it was like it was like Bates Motel. That's like what we thought. Like he was a really Jeez. creepy guy, and like he made us like listen to him play the piano when we came in, and like we were the only guests there. It was it was weird, but that was that was Lake Geneva. Did they only was it a one bedroom? You had to sleep like in the same room with him and his mom, kind of deal. Or I, I just I was young, so I just remember the piano part and being afraid for my life. Okay, then you guys are so weird. They are weird, both of you. Okay, so <laughs> let's let's listen to this clip. This is MSNBC. Katie Tour is talking to some schmo in like up at Lake Geneva. In fact, when I think I was gonna say when I hear the words Lake Geneva, I think smoke on the water, right? And the Lake Geneva. Oh, uh, was that a, was that like an, an 1880s you know book? What? Like I'm what? Re- I, if, I I could do not push me, Hollowell. Smoke Don't push me today. Water. All right, oh, so, it's a great gosh. baseline. Yeah. Womp womp womp. Okay, here we go. Cal, are they not worried about their own personal safety? I haven't met anybody who is. I met some folks actually from Lake Geneva who lived in the area. They were staying a few miles outside of town where I were. And they said they're worried about it. They're worried about that second spike. They're Got worried it. about folks coming in Packers from Chicago. But they'll quickly him. add at the same time, this is a place that relies on that business. I think people here want a little bit more funding when it comes to these okay, programs so that they could stay closed. But again, I think people felt like the Supreme Court made the decision here in Wisconsin that it was time to open up. But you can see here, just around. Nobody's wearing them. Nobody's. Uh, the there you go, including the cameraman. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Suck it, Trebek. So yes, he's trying to shame these people, and he's 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 showing all these people who don't have their masks, and there's this guy stalking him wearing a wearing a uh, a Green Bay Packers jersey, and then he walks back around, and the, and this reporter decides, you know what, I'm going to really suppose, specifically point out this guy who's been circling me and watching me, and I'm going to really shame him on national television with our seven viewers right. that, that MSNBC has, and he says, turn the camera over here, and points it right. At this guy's like, nobody's wearing masks. <laughs> <laughs> and the guy in the jersey, without missing a beat, goes, including the cameraman. 
Right. Thank God for people like these. These. It's very um, reminiscent of the uh, Anderson Cooper in like, you know, kneeling in the water to make it look like it was super deep. Uh, (laughs) You know, one, I mean, it just like, you know, uh, I I think like the quest for clicks and views, it's in it's complete insanity. And it's what has made CNN into a caricature of a news network. Trump has ruined them because they are so I would say six years ago, seven years ago, I loved CNN. I would go to them because I felt like I could kind of yeah. get a balanced approach to things. Now, yeah. you got a bunch of crazies running around. Well, and yeah. some great oh, people yeah. and some nice people who we used to work with and I like, but wait. Uh, <laughs> maybe maybe one. I caught myself. I caught myself. Cuz we do it. I have friends at CNN. Well, you yes, do too. Yes, I know. I, I know. And they're I have nice. no friends at CNN, Nominal. so I'm just going to yeah. So yeah. should we start naming names Billy of people at CNN we we treasure? So you you better stop because you're going to get me going. All right. What's our next segment <laughs> okay, that we have so, here today? <laughs> you're going to get me going. So, um, so you I mean, our last segment because I'm done with you people. Okay. So okay. we have two Trump quotes we need to first first go to look at. Okay. And first one is has to do with an issue that you really cared about, Billy, with the with Medicare. You want to explain what happened? Oh, the um, Medicare announcement with, so insulin, Trump, with insulin. So Trump, Trump is going to any Medicare and Medicaid too. Is it Medicaid and Medicare? I and a Medicare. Medicare plan $35 insulin a month, which I actually am. I am firmly, and this is where we probably all disagree. I don't want universal health care. I don't want the government taking over health care, but I am flexible when it comes to life-saving drugs that like insulin is something people need to survive in howlers. There are a few things where I'm sort of like, listen, it's out of control. If there's a way for the government to have a role in helping bring the cost down, if it's a government plan like Medicare, which every elderly person is on, um, then I'm okay with it. And so Chris and I have disagreements I'm about gonna, this. We've thought about I get it. Feelings like I'm going to have offline. A, you and I talked about this earlier. This week. I felt like I was going to have a stroke when we were talking about it. Yeah, because, I know. Because I just, I don't know. You're in I New think York. We've no, it has that. nothing to do with that either. Because I, it's not that. It's just like because I think this is where Christians. Oh no, I'm going to get myself oh, in trouble. No, this I, is I where Christians sometimes put there, Republican really. before before Christian. And I think it's if this was the Hunger Games, you'd be in District One. I don't know what that means, but if District One has UGG slippers and back massages, I'm there. Yep, that's you. Okay, play play the clip. Okay, so here's so the president is announcing this insulin thing, right? This is the plan. He's so here's what he does. And for some reason, and during this very nice announcement that should be a political winner for him, he decides to go off script. Pocket costs for this life-saving treatment almost double. I don't use insulin. Should I be? Huh? I never thought about it. But I know a lot of people are very, uh, very badly affected, right? Unbelievable. By what? <laughs> so he had, so I think it was a Surgeon General came on later during this. I don't have that clip. It says, and, well, and actually, him, uh, school actually, bus rocks. Well, like. it's, well, because people were pressing him like, why would you take insulin? I, because that's for people who, whose bodies don't create enough insulin. And. And so the, the Surgeon General, very I think it was a Surgeon General, very smartly comes on and says, well, you do need insulin, but thankfully, Mr. President, your body creates insulin, so you don't have to take insulin shots. So, yes, so he's like, yes, you do have to have insulin, so you're not completely he just, stupid. He just doesn't know about anything, medical anything. stuff. Oh, sorry. He doesn't know um, about medical stuff. Do you remember Beaker from the Muppets? Yes. Me, 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 me. That's that he's Beaker. He just like gets on stage with a lab coat <laughs> and starts saying things that are completely insane. Um, and 
I just, but I am fine. I actually like the insulin thing. I'm okay with it. The insulin companies will survive. They've made plenty of money off of people's lives. Oh, yes, so now, now Billy is determining plenty of money. You hear that, Lucas, Okay, right? so yeah, that, so right? now pastors or insulin producers cannot make over a certain dollar amount per year. Exactly. Listen, yeah, you know what? I, and I podcasters am fine and, with, I am fine hmm? with company. Listen, if you were a smart company, you'd make a great, you would make a great deal with the government if you're an insulin company, because think about how many people are on Medicare and how many people are literally taking insulin. I mean, you guys are okay. I just, you're okay with companies charging $4,000 a month for insulin. That makes you comfortable. Yes. I'm for competition in the market and that will drive the prices to be able to be more affordable. I do think it's fast. The problem is when we allow monopolies. See, the reason why those companies can do that is because we already have a form of socialized healthcare to start with where there's only all only so many players in the game. It's actually some of the IP laws that cause that pricing to be what it is. All right. I just want to make just I want to make this last uh, point, okay? I think it's interesting and I say this as an independent who is not part of either party that the people who preach and Chris has given me dirty looks, the people who preach about sin nature or about the suddenly assume that quote free markets that are run by the people who have sin nature are going to run perfectly with competition and not exploit people in any way. I didn't say they would run. I've never said they would run perfectly. I just think it's the least bad option. Yes. And well, I deal with a lot of that in my new book that's coming out next year. So we'll talk about it in a year from now. We can talk about it in a year. I don't like socialism, <laughs> but when it comes to when it comes to health, and I've told Chris this, I, I, when it comes to healthcare and the environment, those are two areas where I struggle. And Chris, you've admitted that you struggle sometimes in those areas too. I, I would never admit such a thing. <laughs> Not publicly. <laughs> because I, I think it's it's challenging. You're dealing with people's lives. And I want to live in a country not to sound like a Democrat, because I'm not. I would never endorse government-run health care. I think it's a disaster. But I, I do want to live in a country where people have access to what they need. And I think there is a real debate about that. Half the country seems to say people do have access, and the other half seems to say they don't. And I think the truth is somewhere in the middle. I'll shut up now. Well, my biggest my biggest issue is with well, well, multi it's multifold one, right? I'm a big supporter of prescription drug companies. I think that they have saved millions of lives and ought to be able to make a lot of money saving millions and millions of lives. My big issue is is uh, I don't have a problem with private companies making deals with each other, right? Government Medicare is not a private company. It is not private insurance. It's the government strong arming. I'm not okay with that. I'm I hate I'm a not a big fan of insurance companies generally i think that it is i think that they have artif- artificially inflated demand and which dr- has driven up the costs of everything in healthcare 100% 100% and then the, i have i have one of these christian share plans which i won't say their name because they should sponsor our show and then we'll say their name out loud uh, but you know it's 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 been great for us you know it's that we you know it's better than insurance i know i'm not putting my money towards you know abortion clinics and all these things in that and it's helping to keep costs down. And and I think that there's a lot of alternatives because it's it's a double-edged sword because you have you have so many regulations in insurance and then so many regulations in healthcare. And that creates this market where everybody is, you know, fighting over a buck. And so prices just keep going up and up and up. Yep. And it I mean, look, it's a complex, it's not just like an easy fix tomorrow. But um, but yeah, I mean it's 
But when you tell me when you tell me that going to the doctor with, with a copay is only going to cost me ten dollars when I've got when all I've got is a flu is is maybe a light case of the flu, but maybe just a cold, and I don't really need to go to the doctor, but it only costs me ten to twenty bucks to go instead of it costing a hundred dollars to go. You've made it. You've you've inflated the demand by making it so cheap. And what it does is for everybody else who pays cash or has to yeah. pay for insurance in, in other ways, it, dri- it drives up costs. And the other thing that drives me crazy about insurance companies, and I say this with bias because my father has been a pharmacist for 50 years, is how they treat pharmacies and, 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 and <laughs> how they treat the payment of drugs, insurance companies. Because a pharmacy might pay $100 for a drug. In order to recoup that cost, they have to charge a customer and insurance together at least $100, Right. So they'll charge they'll charge a, a customer here's your ten dollar copay and they'll try to file ninety dollar uh, claim with the insurance insurance say no we think that that uh, we think that medicine's only worth eighty dollars so you got the ten dollars from the customer and we're going to give you seventy and they do things like that constantly and that is out of it's out of control most people don't know that that happens so that's the other area where I have issues with all of our healthcare nonsense. Yeah, if you want to learn more about that, you can follow Chris's other podcast, Drugs and Me, and uh, that airs every Monday night <laughs> at right. seven. So let's let's, All right. let's close with let's close with this because we gotta we, we go from the sublime to the ridiculous, just like the the, the thing says. Okay, and this is the most maybe the most ridiculous quote of the week, and we're gonna go with this. Okay, <laughs> the president is standing out, getting ready to go on the helicopter, the Marine One. And this happened about a week ago. We didn't get it on the show last week. And he's about to get on the Marine One, and they ask him about being about if he's taking hydro, 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 what's it called? HQ, HC, whatever. <laughs> Doesn't even matter because yes. I can't speak. Yes. So they ask him if he's still taking. He says no, and he's but he's he's been testing negative for COVID. Okay, so they ask him about it, and for some <laughs> reason he insists on weird wording this weirdly. Okay, here we go. I think it's another day. I had a two-week regimen of uh, hydroxychloroquine, and I've taken it, I think, just about two weeks. I think it's another day, so, and I'm still here. I'm still here, and I tested very positively in, a, in another sense. So this morning, yeah, I tested positively toward negative, right? So, no, I tested uh, perfectly this morning, meaning, meaning I tested negative. Test yet? But that's the way of saying it. Positively toward the negative. <laughs> so you. Uh, well, I, and look, I love Trump. I've been, you know, I've been very supportive. Uh, obviously, I don't agree with everything, but I love how he doubles down when he realizes <laughs> what he's done. Like, like he positively he, on the negative. He's not gonna. He's not gonna go. Oh, I'm sorry. I misspoke. It was negative. You know, like that's what like a normal person would do in a right. situation like that. Oh no, no, no. I'm sorry. Let me say that again. Right. I he can't. I gotta, yeah, I was negative, and I'm very, I'm very happy and positive that my result was negative. You know, if you I can't say, wait for the debates. I cannot <laughs> I can't wait, wait for the debates. These two, it's gonna be it, farting. It'll be like Beaker and Kermit the Frog. <laughs> and honestly, by the way, by the way, I just want to make one more point. Not to belabor this because we have oh, to go because I'm done with you people. To but nag on something. You're big like a- insulin manufacturers, Chris, which are the drug companies you love so much, are actually in favor of this this move. It's because they're getting because, a massive government contract. Well, and because people are no longer going to ration their insulin, they actually might they're see sales more go of it. up yeah. as a result. Of it. Right. Yeah, you know, people ration their insulin and die, guys. It's amazing. It's amazing what happens. It's amazing how willing people are to get in bed with the government when they're a strong armed and b government goes, look how it's going to benefit you. 
right? That's what we need. It's more more government capital and, cronyism. And on the flip side, people won't die. It sounds really great from a pro-life perspective. Well, I'm pro-death, as, as you know. <laughs> but yes, I think that you nailed it, Lucas, because he, he refuses to say, I, excuse me, I misspoke. He Even at the very end of that clip, what does he say? He, it's... Uh, it's positively on the negative, which is also a it's it's a known other way of saying it. He, yeah, like I mean, it's it's kind of like the what was the book? Yeah. Um, uh, never never split the difference. You know, it's kind of like this attitude of like I'm never even if I'm wrong, I'm never going to admit to you that I'm wrong because it's seen and I think in his mind as a moment of weakness. It's yes. not that he's stupid and doesn't know right. that he just did that, he, but he's just not going to let he's not going to give that to you. Right. But. I think so he has be humility. Better. He has humility, is what you're saying. <laughs> right. It would actually yes, be humility. better if he were to go. I'm sorry. Instead, didn't instead want to freak you of freaking out. Instead yeah. of at the very end I mean, saying. Either way, it would have been a soundbite, right? Either way, yeah. people would have taken it. It doesn't matter what he did. It's going to be a soundbite, and so I think he just like. But that's the way I'm saying it. Positively toward the negative. <laughs> yes. So he is. That's another but he way didn't of saying it. Positively, Biden. Okay, I'm going to positively towards the negative. That <laughs> Billy. Has accidentally farted sometime during this. Uh, no, the, the show I, today. Really, the, I really haven't. <laughs> I wish. I wish. All right. So, Billy, next Goodbye. time, we, next time we, well, next time we come together, we will need to discuss the many things you've been purchasing. You might need to put together a list. <laughs> oh yes. Because, I would like and in to, fact, yeah. it's bad. It's in low. In fact, there's a bounce house coming tonight. <laughs> we might I have go. to have an. <laughs> we might have to have an, an interview. <laughs> there's a what? A bounce, a bounce house. Bounce house. Yeah. For you? I hope. I <laughs> hope I can get it. Out. God, you better get pictures. There, I insist on pictures. There was because I don't think I can cope without. It says positively and the negative. Oh, I hate you both. The Church Boys. Yeah, I tested positively toward negative, right? So, no, I tested uh, perfectly this morning.